think for most of our Coriolis, this is the last um, one in the foundation series. Um, depending on how much you've been enjoying it, that's either sad news or phew, we're on to something else. Um, but we've been thinking a lot about, um, yeah, those fundamental truths, um, the foundations of our faith, um, trying to revisit that, because really that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? And that's what keeps us going. We can sometimes kind of want, you know, we can crave kind of like fancy ideas and teachings, and, but actually what it comes back to is the basics of the, of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, of what he's done in our world, and what we're about to celebrate at Christmas, that God came into our world um, to be one of us so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship um, with him. Um, just the amazing truth of the gospel um, and the difference that that makes to our lives. I was thinking when we were um, praying earlier and, and what I was thankful for, and I was thinking how I'm thankful that um, the hope we have in Jesus um, remains even when things don't work out exactly how we hope, even when we maybe pray into something and we don't see the answer immediately, or we're going through a, a situation that doesn't resolve straight away and it feels like it's going on and on and on. And I was thinking how, you know, no matter what else we go through, nothing can take away the truth of what Jesus has done. Um, that he has come into our world, that he did live amongst us, that he did die, that he did raise from the dead, that he has given us hope of a future with him. Um, those fundamentals, those foundations are really, really important, aren't they, that we keep those um, in view. Um, want to read a Bible passage this morning. Um, I want to talk to us um, as we finish this kind of foundation series about something that perhaps we talked about a bit more in the past as a church than we have done recently. Um, I want to look at the subject of apostles and prophets uh, and what role they might have to play in our um, foundation. So we're going to read from Ephesians um, chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 1 to 16 and I'm reading um, from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord now, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And I just want to pause there before we carry on reading um, the rest of this passage. I want us just to notice the context of what we're about to read. Because the context is one of unity. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And of course, that applies to us as a community of believers, as a local community of believers. But it also applies to the whole church. There is one people of God. There's one faith. We're all together. We've all been united in Jesus Christ. We've all come together because ultimately it's the same faith in Jesus that saves all of us. Um, we've got one hope together. There shouldn't be any competition between churches or Christian charities and organizations. We're, we're all caught up in one faith. 
And there shouldn't be any sense of comparison uh, or competition amongst us uh, as believers together in this local family of the church. Um, we're all here. We're all equal in worth. And Paul says, and to each one of us, grace has been given. To every single one of us here that knows and loves Jesus, grace has been given. Now, the word um, in, in the original Greek of the Bible for grace is charis or charis or however you pronounce Greek. Um, and it means um, something that is unmerited, something that um, undeserved that has been freely given by God. Um, and Paul says, we're all one, we're all the same, but actually we've all been given different measures of grace. We've all been given gifts that we couldn't earn and we couldn't deserve, and, and God has poured grace out in all of our lives. Not something we can earn or accomplish through our own efforts, but because he loves every single one of us, He's decided to pour out his grace in all of our lives. And he will go on to say at the end of chapter 4, Paul will say that the, the church is, is the body of Christ and it, it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That every single part of the body is needed. There's only one body. And this is something, of course, if you remember, if you're familiar with the New Testament, um, Paul talks about again in 1 Corinthians and in Romans about how the the church is a body made up of many parts, and that all the parts are needed. So this is the context of what we're reading. The church is made up of lots of different parts, and every single one of you is a part of it, and every single one of you has been given great gifts um, by God. Um, in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, uh, Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses a similar word, charismata, um, when he talks about the gift of the Spirit, how the, the Spirit pours out gifts in all of our lives. And all kinds of different gifts um, are needed, um, but together we bring those um, together in the church. So let's get back to our passage from Ephesians um, 4. Now, from verse 7 then. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part Jesus 
everywhere. So some people have kind of read this passage in Ephesians 4 and kind of interpreted it as, well, everyone's an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. Almost a little bit like a kind of personality type in a spiritual sense that this is, is you know, you're either one of these things. Um, personally, I don't read it that way um, because when we look at some of the other lists of gifts that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians and Romans, there are all kinds of different gifts and we get the sense that perhaps none of these lists are exhaustive like the only types, um, but examples of some of the types of gifts. And the emphasis here in Ephesians, in this particular passage, is that these gifts are about equipping all the church. So it's said that these gifts are given so that the church can be equipped for works of service. Now, the word service in the Greek of the Bible is actually exactly the same word that we sometimes translate as ministry. There we go. Go back. So this word for service is the same word as ministry. So what Paul is saying is that these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are given so that the whole church can be equipped for ministry. Okay? Um, now, what, what kind of ministry do they equip them in? Well, I want to suggest that they equip us to be apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic and pastoral and teaching. That actually we're all supposed to do the ministry and that God gives certain gifts amongst us to equip us, to enable us, to inspire us, um, to practically train us, to facilitate us all doing this ministry together. Um, the purpose of these gifts in verse 13, we're told, is that we might reach unity in our knowledge, that we might attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ, that we might become mature, that we might understand our faith, and that we might represent, that we might attain to the full measure of Jesus, that we might represent him. At the end of Ephesians 1, we're told that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So it's this idea of together we're supposed to represent Jesus. Everything that's true about Jesus is supposed to be on display amongst us as a church. Now, I don't know about you, if I had to do that on my own, I think I'd find that quite a lot of pressure. If I had to be the fullness of Jesus Christ to this world around me, if everything that is true about Jesus was supposed to be just like me single-handedly putting Jesus on display, I think I'd find that quite a tall order. Um, but that's why Jesus says, um, and that's why Paul is teaching, I've called my, that Jesus has called the church to be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That together we would put Jesus on display to our world. And that is the purpose of the church, to put everything that is awesome about Jesus on display. All of his grace, all of his kindness, all of his unconditional love, his mercy, and his compassion. You think about Jesus for a minute. Think about what you love about Jesus. Think about who he is to you and how you've encountered him in your life. Think about why you want to follow Jesus. What is it about him that, that has changed your life? 
anything that's true about Jesus is supposed to be on display in the church. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put Jesus on display in our world. That's why he sent us into our world. And that's fundamentally what it means to be apostolic. So the word apostle, um, I'll put your in your notes here, because give me a chance. You'll find it hard to follow me on the um, PowerPoint. But the word um, apostle literally means a sent one or messenger. And it has the meaning of someone who is sent on behalf of someone else, like a delegate, someone who's sent to represent someone. And that's what Jesus has done with the church. When he um, he was about to be um, crucified, he was praying to his father, and he was praying about um, those who would follow him, both his immediate followers and, and, and us who would believe in him through their message. He said, I'm not taking them out of the world, but I'm sending them into the world. In the same way that you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. This is what it means for us to be apostolic, to be sent into our world on behalf of another. Jesus sends us as his church. Jesus has sent us together as the community of God's people into our world so that the world can look at us and see that all that is true and good and awesome and amazing about him. So when we talk about the church being apostolic, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about some weird and fanciful kind of like hierarchical super leadership structure or when we use that word apostolic, that's what we basically mean, that we are here to represent another, that we've been sent to represent the one who sent us into our world. That's why we talk about making Jesus famous as a church, um, to try and help us to remember that all the time, everything we're doing is about putting him on display. And that means, you know, in our workplaces, um, in our communities, in our families, um, when things are tough and when things are challenging, when things aren't working out the way that we hoped that they would work out, it's everything about our lives. It's not just trying to, um, you know, put on a, a convincing display, like trying to convince people in your workplace that everything is perfectly ordered and going well in your world and you never have any difficulties because you're a Christian. Um, and if they knew that we had difficulties and we knew that sometimes life sucks for us too, um, then they would be like put off and they wouldn't want to become Christians. So, you know, sometimes it can become almost like that pressure, can't it? It's like I've got to pretend that I've got this perfect life um, so that I'm attractive to people around me. And actually, it's not that at all. It's the hope and the faith and, the, and who we are in Him while we go through all the challenges. Because everything about our lives it's about being apostolic. Everything, every moment of our lives, everything you go through, everything you face, how you deal with the challenges, how you deal with the frustrations, how you do with the disappointment, all of that is part of you've been sent here to live your life on behalf of someone else, to represent someone else. So, apostles then are given to help us in the church and to be that, those, that representative people. In Ephesians chapter 4, in the passage that we read, it says 
that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So unless any of us feel that we've already reached perfect unity in the faith and perfect knowledge of the Son of God and the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ, unless we think job's done and we are the perfect bride who has made herself ready, in which case Jesus will begin to have already come back, um, then I think it's reasonable to, to conclude Jesus is still giving apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And the church has been fine with the pastors um, and teachers, and mostly okay with the evangelists, but struggled a bit more over the years with the idea of apostles and prophets, perhaps because we were worried that people were saying, well, you know, they're the same as the twelve, or the same as Paul, and we're not saying that. We're not saying they can write scripture. We're not saying that any modern-day apostle or prophet could write the Bible or teach anything that contradicted the Bible, of course we recognize that there is a unique place in God's history for the twelve apostles and for Matthias to replace Judas. And of course for Paul as well, who wrote so much of our New Testament scriptures. Um, but we are saying that there are other apostles in the Bible of a different kind, that people, um, let me get their names, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Andronicus and Junior. Junior, by the way, is a woman. Um, for years, our Bible translators, this is a good argument to have in a modern Bible translation, for years, um, Bible translators tried to turn Junior into a man because they assumed that some, someone must have got it wrong somewhere. Surely they couldn't have all the apostles. Um, so they turned Junior into Junior. Um, but now we've kind of got over that and we've um, realized actually. No, the, the writers of the Bible actually got it right. Junior was a woman and she was um, an apostle. Um, so we have these other apostles in the Bible that aren't part of the twelve and that special purpose that God had for them, but still have a ministry towards the church. And like I said, we're, we're not trying to create um, some kind of special super leadership structure. We're not trying to create superheroes that are somehow elevated way above everybody else. We're not trying to imply that they have authority to write or shape scripture or to take away from the unique status of the Twelve and Matthias and Paul. But we are saying that the Bible seems to be describing gifts and ministries that are still needed in the church today. Still needed to equip us to make Jesus famous. Like I was saying, the apostle, all about that sense of identity. Prophets help us to focus on the word of God, what God is saying into our world. They help us to take seriously listening to what God is saying and to putting what God is saying now in this moment into practice in our lives. They challenge us, don't they, to hear what God is saying and to be obedient to what God is saying. We recognize, again, a difference between the, the kind of confrontational prophetic ministry of the Old Testament where, uh, uh, you know, the prophets would come and basically tell everyone that 
that, that there was punishment just around the corner. We know we live in a different context to that Old Testament context, that Jesus has come and that he's taken our punishment. And so we see a shift in the New Testament where the prophets come to encourage and build up the church while still confronting the injustice and unrighteousness in our world around us. And prophets will help us to do that, to hear God's encouragement towards us, but also to hear God's heart for bringing his kingdom into our world. So the whole church is to be apostolic, just like Jesus. And the whole church is to be um, prophetic, just like Jesus. Representing God, bringing his message, bringing the hope of a future in him to the world around us. I wonder if the reason we've been more comfortable with perhaps pastors in particular as well as teachers and evangelists, but pastors in particular, I wonder, because, you know, like, churches are all pretty happy, aren't they, with calling people pastors. I wonder if part of the reason for that is pastors do a great job of looking after us. Pastors, or hopefully, do a great job of looking after us. Pastors are, are about our needs, aren't they? Pastors are about bringing us encouragement and, um, you know, responding when perhaps we're struggling with something in our lives. Um, apostles and prophets have a tendency to kind of provoke us and to say we need to be looking outside of ourselves, um, either as individuals or together as a community. Um, pastors will, will, you know, kind of, I'm caricaturing a bit, but they'll say they're there and it's okay and they'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll look after us. But apostles and, and prophets are, are constantly saying, we need to remember why we're here. We need to remember that God has sent us in this world to make a difference. We need to remember that actually my life is not my own, but that I've been purchased um, by Jesus Christ to belong to him. That actually my life is no longer about me and my desires and I'm building something for myself, but actually my whole life is supposed to be laid down for what he is saying into our world. For what, but he's supposed to be able to send me to people around me. I'm supposed to be here as a living sacrifice. And I wonder if that's why when Paul talks about apostles and prophets in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, he describes them as foundational. He describes the church as being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So in verse 19 it says in Ephesians 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Foundational ministry, keeping us focused on what really matters. We can become overwhelmed by the cares and concerns of our lives. We can become consumed with very real things that we're going through. But Paul says it is really important that when you think about your foundations of who you are as a people, you remember that ultimately, as an organization, we exist for the benefit of those who are not yet members. I think it was William Temple that first said that, that the church 
is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Actually, as much as we can, our world can start to gravitate around the pressures and the, and the challenges that we face, that actually we have to remind ourselves again and again, at the core of who we are, at our very foundational level, we are here to represent the one who has sent us into this world. We're going to spend an eternity with Jesus. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to work out. All the pressures that you face right now, the real challenges and pressures, will one day be resolved. And you will spend an eternity in the presence of God, in perfect relationship with God. And suddenly everything will find its due perspective in Him. In the meantime, He has sent you to this world to represent Him and that hope in this world to the people all around you. And apostles and prophets are not all about certain people being digged up and given loads of um, honor in the sense of money or status or, you know, anything like that. The reason we're told to value them, the reason Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 um, and verse 28, God has appointed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then so on. The reason he says that, I think, is because he's reminding us this is what you're about as a community. Yes, encourage one another. Yes, love one another, because that's part of how you put God on display. Um, but let's remember, at the core of our foundation, we are here for the benefit of the families that he sent us into, of the communities that he sent us into, the people of Womenshaw, the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, on your street, the people in any context that God sends you into, your place of study, wherever it is, wherever God has placed you, you're there for the benefit of the people around you. And that's what it means for us to be an apostolic and prophetic church. A church that is always conscious. We're here with a message to represent the one who has sent us, to say what he is saying into our world, to remind our world of his love, justice, of the hope that we found in him, of the gospel that has changed and transformed our lives. That's why we should honor the ministry of apostles and prophets, not to big anyone up as people, but to say, keep us true to our foundation. So let's pray um, together. Father, I just want to pray for us that we would truly be an apostolic people who know who we are, sent by you into our world to represent you in our world. I want to pray that we would hear you and what you are saying into our communities. We'd hear your words of love and justice and mercy and peace and hope. And we would speak those words into, the, into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, Pray that we would be a prophetic people, challenging injustice or discrimination or unrighteousness, meeting that with love and hope and the offer of a restored relationship with you. I pray, Lord God, that we would remember all the time who we are, both as individuals and corporately together as your people. We wouldn't lose sight 
that we wouldn't become so overwhelmed by the challenges that we face, the real challenges that we face, that we wouldn't become so overwhelmed by those that we forget our nature of who we are as your people sent on your behalf into our world. And I pray, Lord God, in all kinds of ways, as we all move in the different giftings that you've given us, as we all manifest the grace that you've poured out in each of our lives, I pray that we really would make you famous, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 